thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week we are talking about the cult 1980s BMX film Rad. And we have a very special guest with us. That's right. Jamal Green. Welcome. Hey, hey, everyone. How are you? Very, very good. So, Jamal, yes, sir. I wanted you on here because you had never seen this movie. I haven't, and you know, I'm so glad <laughs> that you made me watch it, or asked me to watch it, I should say, because, you know, that movie hits, you know, it's it's everything bad 80s movie, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't pull any punches, and I think this is really uh, one of the first movies that I've watched in a long time where I said, yep, the music was written way in advance. <laughs> <laughs> and they just decided let's make a movie around this oh it it really is like a series of music videos it, it is and i wonder if that really was the real men of genius guy if that was his real career before he started parodying himself <laughs> wait wait wait, wait. You're, <laughs> you're talking about what, survivor no you ever see the is it uh was it budweiser that had the real men yeah. of genius commercials yeah. yeah that was the dude from survivor that's who it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was the Eye of the Tiger guy. That's right. But wow, it just, everybody sounds, I, I'm like, all those 80s montage songs from no matter what movie it is, they always Don't sound. You break the ice. <laughs> yeah. They sound like a bootleg version of that guy or Steve Perry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, it's amazing. Like, you know, it, it, even now, as bad as it is, it still sucked me in. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. still a sucker for it. and believe it or not there is a wrestler in this film um hard-boiled haggerty yeah wow yeah this guy uh was a was a legendary wrestler and then was probably equally successful as an actor i mean showed up in a ton of different tv shows and movies in the 80s yeah yeah he actually his professional wrestling career ended way back in 1972 so yeah yeah, H.B. Haggerty. He uh, he was a tag team champion. He was uh, he was usually a bad guy. He was often uh, almost like um, like Ric Flair's persona of the real egotistical, you know, uh, show off kind of guy, and wow. just a mean, angry looking guy. Plays the cop in this movie, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, the cop who looks like Sergeant Slaughter. I had a feeling that's who that's who you guys are talking about. Yeah, I I to me. When I saw him, I thought uh, Burgermeister Meisterberger from the uh... <laughs> Christmas cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he had like one facial expression, and his, his shades didn't move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a uh, I have a plot summary here for this film for those who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in years. This is uh, this is from Amazon, and I found this just wonderful. There was there was a couple different plot summaries. Uh, the first one was a hometown kid on his BMX against the best in the world at Hell Track. The heat is on. Wow, that, <laughs> here's, 
Here's the second one. Here's the second one. The story of Crew Jones, a young man who over who can overcome all obstacles that prevent him from participating in the BMX race, Hell Track. As he works towards his dream, Crew falls in love with Christian, an amateur racer. With the help of Christian and his friends, can Crew's rad racing team defeat the top BMX factory rider, Bart Taylor? Wow. Question mark? <laughs> wow. They they make it sound so uh, they make it sound make the plot sound more uh, in depth than it actually is. <laughs> now here I got to tell you, watching it again, the the movie takes about eight minutes before anything of plot happens, <laughs> and that's shocking for a ninety minute film. That's yes. about right. Yes, that, that's that's about right. Now there's. Now, Chris, yeah, I was, was going to say, say, Craig, yeah. are you going to say about the director? Yes, I was. I was going to point out that in addition to um, H.B. Haggerty, there is another big name attached to this. And I didn't realize who directed it till you brought this up as a movie we could do. And it's timely. Director Hal Needham, who passed away um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, passed away just a, a, maybe a week before Halloween at the yeah. age of 82. Just a, a legend, a guy who who changed the way movies were made. Yeah, yeah, he he was started out as a stuntman, and he ended up doing the Smoking the Bandit movies, the Cannonball Run movies. This was his second to last movie. You know what his last movie was? Body no, Slam. Really? Yes. Nice. Wow. So that's a, it's an incredible wrestling connection. That Body Slam with Rowdy Roddy Piper put him out of the business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I love uh, his films. Whenever I would see his name, and this movie is kind of surprising that it has his name on it. Mm -hmm. Although, if you think about it, if you take the BMXs out and you make them big trucks (laughs) or cars, this is exactly a Hal Needham film. Yes. Wow. But yeah, I mean, I always loved those Cannonball Run films. I mean, and when I say films, I loved the second one, which is not as good as the first one. Yeah, I think that's the one that I know the most uh, is, yeah. is is the sequel. Is the sequel had Roger Moore, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I mean those films were fun, and then Smokey and the Bandit. How much fun is that? I mean, him trying to just smuggle Coors beer across city lines. Yeah, that's what he was doing. That's the law that he was breaking. Wow. <laughs> that's right. Yes, because Coors had too much alcohol by volume, I think. So. Yeah. And then in the sequel, it. aren't they smuggling an elephant? You know what? I don't even remember. <laughs> Which is God, also a Hal Needham movie. Yeah, there's because remember, there's like the whole sequence with Don Dom DeLuise pretending to be like the, the elephant's Sano vet. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay, I don't remember any of that. I gotta it's, watch it again. So did Coors finance the first one? <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. I did find something. Speaking of beer and Hal Needham, um, he after leaving filmmaking. He moved he moved on to the to focusing on the land speed record. He wanted to he wanted to break oh, wow. the world land speed record with a project that eventually became the Budweiser Rocket. Oh, it sounds awesome. The Budweiser Rocket was an American three world three wheeled land vehicle generally resembling the 1970-era Blue Flame, I guess we could click on that, uh, which was a land speed record holding vehicle. So anyway, this was one of those goofy-looking, you know, like it looked like a rocket mm-hmm. that you wow. would put out in the middle of the desert and rev it up, you know, or shoot it with some kind of cannon or something to get it to super speeds. Amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, he he was a he was a fascinating guy. Now in uh, the Tourist World Stunt Awards, which is the big stunt awards, sometimes they're on TV. There was a great one uh, a few years ago that for wrestling fans, I think this was 2005. It was hosted by. The Rock and Mr. T, which is a wrestling one-two punch for anybody that is a fan of pro wrestling. Uh, actors turned wrestlers and wrestlers turned actors. You got you got two of the biggest right there. Dude, that is a combination for the ages, man. <laughs> I'd watch anything hosted by The Rock and Mr. T. Tell <laughs> So, um, so anyway, Needham, uh, Hal Needham received the Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2012 banquet. Uh, he got the, he also got the Governor's Award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So that's, you know, some kind of, uh, Oscar, you know, not necessarily honorary, but some kind of like, uh, uh, an achievement award of the Oscars. And, uh, the person that gave it to him, Quentin Tarantino. Uh. Look at that. Look at that. So this movie, this movie is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, as I mentioned, you start out and you just have footage of guys on bikes just doing tricks. Yeah, that then segues into more bike stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's so we get we get, you know, guys with this smoky background. And I think this was probably just like the stunt bike crew. Mm-hmm. You know, showing off. They were just like, oh, we'll, we'll set up the camera over here. You guys show off and we'll, we'll, cause I mean, there's really no camera movement. It's yeah. just guys, you know, bouncing on the front wheel. Then they bounce oh, yeah. on the back wheel, spin, spin the whole bike around while they bounce on the front wheel. And yeah. And then we cut to more bike racing. They're going through neighborhoods. We're getting a lot of weird filters to change the, uh, the sky. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sky looks like. Like yeah, I guess they're trying to make it look like it's early morning, but instead it looks like there was just a like a nuclear war. Yeah, it looks yeah. like they're on Coruscant. <laughs> they got like a a, a, a four dollar graduated filter, <laughs> and it just it just looks like there's a big orange haze over everything. You know what <laughs> it reminded me of, guy? Sure. You remember that Pulp Fiction parody? Um, God, I don't... oh okay, yeah, Plump Fiction. Yes, and I remember that that there was one shot in that movie where the director wanted to make it look bad so they wouldn't use it, and they used it anyway. That's true. Yes, <laughs> we found this out on the commentary track. Jamal, this is fantastic. On the commentary track for this movie, the director says, "Yeah, this scene, I didn't want it in the film. Uh, the producer wanted it in the film. The studio wanted it, so I shot it with this terrible filter, hoping they would never use it and say, oh, it's unusable.' But they insisted I use it. Now I just wish I'd taken that filter off." Yeah. So he he just sabotaged it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And they were like, "We're using it anyway." <laughs> oh, oh, that's incredible. That's a yeah, funny that's... movie, though. Yeah, I remember. I remember laughing at it and seeing it when it was brand new. Seeing it a couple times, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I'm, I, the DVD. I remember was cheap, and yeah. it was during the early days of DVD. So it was, you know, any DVD that was reasonably priced, you'd buy uh, yeah. just because you needed to. You, you need to start a collection. Yeah. And I remember just watching that a couple times. I remember that one joke by uh, Sandra Bullock where she says she wishes her name was was Al Pacino. That's because <laughs> then it would be similar to Cappuccino. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh! It's a really silly movie. So, so Crew Jones, Crew Jones has uh, has a little uh, little gang. Him and uh, him and his one friend, and then their their platonic girlfriend. Mm-hmm. They uh, they hang out like uh, like construction areas. Yeah, <laughs> they have, like a little clubhouse they built out of an old trailer. 
they have like a little uh, uh, oil drum fire going in the middle in case they, you know, for those times when, you know, you like to just jump your bike into a pond for no reason <laughs> or a lake. There's there's uh, his sister who's as tomboy as tomboy could get. Yes. I mean, I don't believe that Talia Shire would have this child. <laughs> Now the Talia Shire connection, she plays Cruz's mom, but she plays she plays Yo Adrian. <laughs> basically, she was married to the producer at the time of this film, Jack Schwartzman, uh, father of Jason Schwartzman from uh, Rushmore and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But so I assume that Jack was like, "Yeah, we'll get my wife to do it." This movie, um, according to Wikipedia, had a budget. Of eleven million dollars. Where'd the wow. other ten go? <laughs> I, right. <laughs> and raked in two million, which yeah. I still find a little surprising. Yeah. They blew the advertising budget. Yes, I, I don't know what happened there. I mean, that is that's a steep incline for a bunch of bike tricks. Well, we get we get a lot of really cool tricks in that opening sequence where he's riding his bike through the town. We see Ray Walston, my my favorite Martian. <laughs> You know, with his with his tray of uh, he's he's got a tray of like coffee. Yeah, he's got like one of those like you know travel uh, cartons. So he's got like four cups of coffee. He's bringing it to the office, and he's riding his bike with one hand and yelling at people that are getting in his way. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, it's like that's a move that like I wouldn't even try. And you know, I'm a lot younger than Ray Walston. Yes, you can't flip the bird as well as Ray Walston. So we've got a, a pretty simple plot here. Uh, this big company, Mongoose Bicycles, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. Is coming to town. And this is a real bicycle company that, I guess, sponsored this or allowed their name to be used. Yeah, yeah. I had a mongoose. I had a mongoose when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, you were saying to me, Craig, that you couldn't believe that Mongoose would want their name attached to this character, you know, Mr. Duke Best, the bad guy in the film. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no redeeming quality to this company in the movie. I, I was trying to think of, like, you know, a, a company today, like we were thinking maybe, like, if Monster Energy Drink, you know, was a, a product in the movie and they turned out to be the bad guys. That's what this was. I mean, there's no point in the movie where Mongoose does anything you know, good for the community that they're coming into, I guess, except for throwing a bone and saying one of your competitors can qualify for the race. Well, coming to the community brings a lot of money. Though. Yeah, I guess. There's, you know, when 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 uh, when you when you bring Helltrack to your small little sleepy town, <laughs> that brings a whole parade. I mean, that's a Helltrack is a big big deal. Yeah, I wonder if Mongoose was just getting their foothold in the bike business when that happened, when they started, they did that. Could be, and this this just seemed too good to be true. Yeah, they I wonder a, if like them and like GT had to flip a coin. They're like, you know, we'll flip a coin, Mongoose. If 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 heads, you know, you're the bad guy. Tails, GT, you're the uh, the team that everybody's on that doesn't win. Oh man, <laughs> I, I, I they were all in there. They had all the big stunt names, bikes in there. Wasn't Dino in there also? Yeah. I, just... Ho- I always remember Hollywood Mike Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just, you know, the one thing about that movie, which I guess if you look at most of these '80s movies like that, even the bad ones, 
no matter where it was, it always made every town look like it was the nicest place in America to live. <laughs> that everybody was just happy. Everybody had a routine. Everyone was up by 8 a.m. You know, right, right. The, 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 the trash man was there waiting with the dumpster on his truck for this guy to deliver the papers so he can give him a lift over the fence. (laughs) 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 You know, it just, everything was there. They ride through a guy's store, (laughs) you know, it's just, yeah. And also the town reminded me a lot and it clearly was not filmed anywhere near there, but it reminded me a lot of the town from ET something about all the construction and the half finished areas and all the wood, everything was wooden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, crew has an ex-girlfriend who, uh, he's the biggest mistake she ever made. (laughs) Nice. So, so crew, uh, what happens is crew's getting chased by HB Haggerty's cop character. I, at this point, I'm thinking this is a bad kid. Yeah, but it's just a game. But why would the cop want to be part of this game? He loses every time, apparently. Yeah, and it's impossible for him to really win because it's not its not a fair fight. I mean, they're on BMX bikes that can pretty much go a lot of different places. And HB's on one of these huge hog-like California Highway Patrol motorcycles. I i understand the part of the, of the police officer. It's like in Wreck-It Ralph. He just serves that purpose to be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got he's got to do the same thing no matter what the outcome is. So <laughs> you're saying that's how he was programmed? I think so. Yes. Are you saying that's his gimmick? That's Are you his, saying that's how he was booked? That's exactly what what happened before when he came in the door and signed the papers to be that movie. They, he already knew what, what his gig was, and that was it. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So then uh, they say we'll let we'll let a local we'll we'll, we'll let one local compete to be in in hell track and so crew decides he's gonna he's gonna go to bat for the town and he starts his mission to get there yeah but this is there's bad news of brewing because in order to race uh, or qualify for hell track he has to put off taking the sats for a week (laughs) and and talia shire wants none of this so that's our major conflict in this film if he if he does the race, he can't take the SATs right I mean, away. <laughs> I, I I guess we could assume maybe he would have to wait a year to take them. I don't even see the conflict. I guess maybe one year later he takes the SATs. Yeah, I, I, think... I it feels like chasing his dream isn't that hard. It's a yeah. <laughs> it's a one weekend event. Yeah, yeah. It really seemed like the mom was being uh, a real stick in the mud here. Yeah, she kind of. You know, there's there's no money in stunt biking. <laughs> That's why all these these guys are coming to town with this million dollar track they're going to build and all these sponsorships. There's no money there. Yeah, so true. Um, let's talk about hard boiled Haggerty, professional wrestler, American football player, character actor. Uh, really interesting guy. Debuted in the ring in 1952. Wrestled until 1972. Also. Uh, did a lot of matches in a lot of territories. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who won a championship in San Francisco. He wrestled in Green Bay. He wrestled in Chicago. You know, he, I mean, he was all over the Midwest. He was, he, he wrestled over in, in world-class championship wrestling where the Von Erichs were. He was a, a tag team champion, went up to Canada, defeated Killer Kowalski for the belt, which is just one of the biggest names of all time, guy who trained Triple H. Yeah. 
Nice. And he also had a run in the AWA, which is sort of where a lot of those big early WWF guys came from in, you oh, know, absolutely. in the 80s. I mean, everybody from, you know, wrestlers like uh, Jim Bronzel uh, to, to guys like Mean Gene, everybody came from the AWA. And even Hogan. Wasn't Hogan poached from them, basically? Hogan was, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Hogan had had what was from the AWA, also Jesse Ventura. But Hogan, there's it's a it's a convoluted story, which is why I hesitate to answer it. But you know they had they had sort of stolen Hogan's contract. But it depends on how you look at contract law in, in professional wrestling, whether you know who, who was right and who was wrong in it. But yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff going on. Very interesting guy though. And so after he left wrestling. And and left a, a decent wrestling career, you know, and a long wrestling career, and was was in the ring with everybody. I mean, uh, Curtis King uh, Iakia, he was in the ring with, uh, you know, wrestled, you know, like we said, all in every different territory you could think of. Went on to be on like Adam Twelve, Get Smart, Starsky and Hutch, The Incredible Hulk. It was like he went he went on to to appear in like every every TV show that needed a bald cop looking guy. Yes. Uh, he passed away uh, in 2004 from injuries he had sustained uh, in an accident, a car accident in 2003. Uh, really interesting guy. And, and this is probably the movie I remember him most from. But he had, I mean, he, he also had another another movie where he plays a wrestler, uh, which is a movie called Million Dollar Mystery, which I think he's fantastic in. But a uh, really interesting guy and a great, great look. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. That's awesome. So, uh, so Hell Track, we <laughs> we motor our way to Hell Track. They put a lot of obstacles in front of him. Uh, there's a dance at the school that couldn't couldn't be more ridiculous. Well, yeah, because they dance on the bikes. That was oh. part, probably some of the uh, the best uh, lighting I've ever seen at a school dance in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect for like a circus or a stunt show in the fog and the spotlights that just followed every move. There's a guy with a with a follow spot, you know, at the school <laughs> dance. Who who does that? Yeah, and, and just send me an angel over yes. and over. Oh this, yeah. This song, by the way, I remember this song was a hit after the movie came out. And as a kid, I remember it being much later. It really wasn't uh that much later, but it was interesting, you know. This song uh uh, had a life that was probably bigger than the film. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh wow, I missed that. It just, you know, this this film. I honestly knew nothing about this film. Never heard of it. I thought I did, and then when I saw it, and I don't know how I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the great montages. Oh, it's classic, classic, uh, classic stuff. Now, so so Jamal had never seen this. Now, when I was a kid, this was a film that we watched all the time. We rented this from the local Rite Aid, and then eventually we were able to get a used copy. This was a film I saw over and over and over, and then uh, eventually, you know, when, when DVD came around, I bought a bootleg copy off eBay, and then they played it on HD. Uh, it was a channel, it was called, I think it was just called HDTV, mm-hmm. um, and it's not around anymore, but they, they showed a widescreen, beautiful copy of it, which I put on a DVD, and I've watched a bunch of times since then. Uh, it was a movie that I couldn't get enough of. Now, Craig, what about you? Yeah, a very similar story. I mean, uh, you know, growing up uh me and my friends were really into bmxing when that 
whole scene sort of exploded in the you know the mid eighties. So and there really weren't a lot of movies devoted to B, you know BMXing. So you know we'd get the magazines and stuff like that. And when when we discovered this movie, it was like oh my god, we can sit down for ninety minutes and just watch these you know these kids do tricks on bikes and race hell tracks so it was one of those things where you know we would definitely uh wear it out you know just watching it back to back to back to back you know and then going out and trying to recreate some of the moves wow i i just remember this being a new thing when i guess right around the time when i uh relocated from inner city to suburbia just the whole stunt biking and everything else and i just remember where i lived if you had a mongoose you better lock that sucker up because you probably wouldn't have it the next day. <laughs> That's all I remember. And then finally, you know, I, I, I started uh, getting into it myself, and I had got my parents got me for Christmas. I got a BMX Predator. Oh, nice. With pegs, and I thought that, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Pegs are great. Mm-hmm. Pegs in the front or the back? Both. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Both. Doing it up. In case you had to travel with three people on a bike. Yeah. Until you realize how hard it is to pedal on a bike <laughs> with three people. <laughs> oh, wow. So the uh, the obstacle that gets thrown in front of him is as they get closer to the race, uh, Mr. Duke Best is like, oh, I forgot to tell you, you need 10 grand. Yeah. So they come up with this T-shirt idea. You know, the sister makes the T-shirt that says crew is rad. And that, that changes his mind. And, and so him and Lori Laughlin from Full House start this venture to, to make all this money. But then another stumbling block. Oh, we also forgot to tell you it has to be $50,000 in the company that owns the, that sponsors the racer. And this is when Ray Walston redeems himself. Saves the day. Yeah. He buys $50,000 worth of shirts, which I can't imagine they ever actually delivered to him. No. And if they did, I don't know that he lived long enough to wear them. Yeah. Well, he, he saw them as an investment because it seemed like he was going to flip them. Because he even tells he even tells Duke to buy some. So we get to the final race. Well, yeah, actually, um, real quick sure. though, that the only reason Duke doesn't want Crew in the race is because he's afraid that Crew will win, and if Crew wins, it will throw a a monkey wrench into the spokes of his the bike of his champion uh, Bart Taylor, played by 1984 Olympic gymnastics champion Bart Connor. And the only reason he doesn't want Crew to win is because he, he's afraid that if Bart Taylor comes in second, all of this Bart Taylor merchandise that he, is, he has sold to stores will be worthless. Uh, he <laughs> wow. must have had a, a lot of Bart Taylor merchandise. Yeah. But, I mean, you think there were Bart Taylor action figures? <laughs> How come Bart is never a hero's name? Nobody, there's never a Bart that's the good yeah, guy. Bart like Bart's always, oh yeah, that's true. It wasn't until The Simpsons, I guess, huh? <laughs> but that seemed like an easy way out. Bart, he's the bad guy right away. Black Bart, you know, that was always the villain in all the West. Yeah, yep. Now you have to wonder, it was when they were writing this, this script and they created the Bart Taylor character, did at that point Bart Connor then come into audition? Or was it one of those things where, like, Tony Danza, they're like, oh, your first name's Bart. You're going to be Bart. What about this? They write the movie around him. Oh, I like it. So they have this. They have the 1984 Olympic gymnastics champion, and they said we have a vehicle for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's probably what happened. 
But why not make him the 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 good guy at that point? Yes. So so wrap the movie up. Tell me how. Tell me what happens from there on. What's what's the rest of the film? Well, well, so, you know, crew qualifies for Helltrack. He gets the backing, the, the, you know, the company backing and he's, he, he races in Helltrack and the Helltrack is basically just a race through the woods with a couple of jumps. But you start on this wall that is almost like a complete drop. It's like a, like almost a complete decline that you'd think a lot more people would have wiped out on, but you basically just rode down it sideways. So Bart Taylor's got these two goons that are part of his team that don't realize they are his goons, the uh, the Reynolds twins. The yeah, Reynolds I twins. like these guys. I like That's how they good. introduced them from Bayshore, Long Island. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and you know when I was a kid, you know who these guys made when I was a kid, and and I know guy. Um, You're gonna you, say Tomax and Zayma, right? I was. I was gonna say. Oh. As a, as a kid, all I wanted was a live action G.I. Joe movie. That was all I thought about as a kid. And when I saw this movie, I said, oh my God, that's Tomax and Zaymont, who were the, the twins from that movie who sort of had the Corsican brothers powers where, you know, they would feel each other's pain. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I always saw that, especially after they're in the, in the scene at the dance where they've got like matching gray suits. They yes. just look like villains. Yeah. That was great. They not only bike together, but they do synchronized dancing as well. <laughs> yeah. Where they, they do which that is, one thing where they're dancing great. sort of with the woman as a prop where it's yes. like right. she is just sort of there to exist so they could do their mirror image dance. It's great, and they, they have, like, these leftover Buck Rogers costumes they have on. I don't even – it's like a great jumpsuit. <laughs> and then the, the woman – is it, I think the woman and Bart bust into, like, a Macarena-ish type of dance. I was like, wow, yeah. this is, like, 15 years early. Yeah, yeah, Bart was doing some synchronized moves with that girl. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, these, uh, these two guys – this was Chad Hayes – and his brother, Carrie Hayes. And uh, these guys are now film producers. They produced The Conjuring. They produced, uh, they wrote uh, House of Wax. They've, you know, they've done a lot of writing and producing together, like as a team. Oh, wow. So they might be, you know, they might be the most successful people to come out of this film. They might be, and they still look like, they. first of all, they still look, other than the mullet, the same. (laughs) You know, they've, They've they've aged gracefully and they still look identical, which is which is a feat. I think as you get older, it's harder to keep that identical. The, those features they yeah. they tend to you tend to get a little you know well this guy did this this guy slept on his face all the time <laughs> you know you tend to look different. Yeah, yeah. I think that House of Wax had a uh, like a twin brother twist ending if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. As I spoil the movie from 2005. Nice. Uh, that's the Paris Hilton movie. Yes. She dies. Yes. That was the big the big hook on that. <laughs> but I'm surprised that these guys, when they when they started their their, you know, their behind the camera work, they didn't sort of merge and become one person so they could sort of split their days. He'd be like, hey, you know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I'll go in the office, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You know, you go in the office and, you know, we can uh, we can play half, you know, we can play more than we normally would be able to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like if I had a twin, that's what I would do. I'd be like, hey, let's see how we can make this, you know, work to our <laughs> advantage as adults. 
I, I, I like that if you had a twin, you wouldn't do it to be more productive. You'd use it as a way to be less productive. Yeah. That's crazy. You wouldn't be like, if I had a twin, we could work in shifts and get more done than ever before. Yeah. Which is what these guys, I think, did. They're like, well, there's two of us. Yes. Let's knock this out. That's awesome. You're like, we could pretend to be one guy, yeah. and we'll be like one really busy guy instead of two lazy guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so how does it end? Does Crew Jones win, Craig? No, he loses, and he's not able to take the SATs. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, of course. Of course he wins, and everybody's happy, and everybody that is except Duke Best from Mongoose, who fires Bart Taylor, who betrays... The two twins. That's right. But thankfully for Bart, uh, Crew's little sister, um, for no reason whatsoever, says, hey, Crew, we have room on our team for Bart, don't we? And uh, Crew says, why not? And they lift up the bike and high five and freeze frame and roll credits. Now, that's great. <laughs> it is a great ending. We do get more bicycle montage after that. But it's interesting in the big race we get the weirdest professional wrestling reference in the history of motion pictures. Yes. The Hulk Hogan eat your heart out line. Oh, oh yes. my yes. word. A backflip. Yes. Hulk Hogan eat your heart out. And I mean, they literally could have cut to Hulk Hogan sitting at a breakfast table, ripping his own heart from his chest and eating it. And it wouldn't have been any stranger. <laughs> now is Hogan did basically one aerial move. What the leg drop? The big, the big boot. Oh, the, the well, the big boot. He was standing up. Oh, he didn't do that off the ropes. You know, the, the big boot. You know, he would. The only thing Hogan, I think, ever did off the ropes was maybe bottom rope do an axe handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hogan, Hogan had no. There was no backflips. I don't even think Child Hulk Hogan did a backflip. But I don't know. I, uh, the big boot for Hogan. That's pretty impressive. One leg came off the mat. But yes, but we cannot call it an aerial move. You know, that's not Rey Mysterio all of a sudden because he was lifting one leg up. I mean, granted, I know Hogan can't do it anymore, so it seems impressive that at one point he could. Yeah. Hawk Hogan, eat your heart out. <laughs> I always liked uh, Duke Best. The line I used to impersonate all the time was, he says, that would be the second mistake you make with me, Buster. <laughs> Yes. And that was Jack Weston. Did we talk about him? No, this was a great actor, though. Yeah, he he was another one of those guys that you'd probably seen everywhere. You know, uh, he did a, a, a ton of work. He was in Dirty Dancing. He was in uh, Ishtar around this time. He was also in Short Circuit 2. Um, earlier in his career, he did The Incredible Mr. Limpet and the, uh, yes. the poker movie The Cincinnati Kid. Uh, it, the original... I, I, Mm-hmm. I watched The Incredible Mr. Lippet and I was stunned to see Mr. Duke Best with a with a dark head of hair. Yeah, a younger kid. Duke that, Best. Oh, it would blow my mind. Yeah, yeah. And he made a ton of TV appearances as well. Peter Gunn, Perry Mason, The Twilight Zone, The Untouchables, Have Gun Will Travel, um, you know, The Man from Uncle, The Carol Burnett Show. So, uh, you know, really, really a, a big uh, a big career. And uh, he died back in 1996 at the age of 71. 
Yeah, didn't didn't yeah he he was uh, he's one of those guys that you know didn't stick around that long, but uh, somehow was able to put in you know just a phenomenal body of work. I think that's what the guys used to do back then, though. You know, they would just go from like they'd finish a movie, they'd go to the next movie, and it was I think so many of them it was just it was just work. I mean, it yeah. was no different than if you were you know working on an assembly line. Yeah, and I think back then too, you were able to sort of jump from TV to movies a lot more than than now it seems like now if you have a movie career you pretty much stay in movies whereas you know you know back then it seems like you know they were he was doing a ton of tv appearances at the same time yeah exactly um there's there's an interesting bit of trivia about rad and it has to do with the critics review of the film at the time when it came out oh great what do you think what do you think guys you think good or bad on the critics meter I think uh, Siskel and Ebert were both giving it a thumbs up, and um, critics were claiming it film of the year. Gene Shalit gave it two mustaches up. What, what'd you, what do you think, Jamal? Oh man, I think that the, I, I think that probably got one of the funniest reviews predating the Roger Ebert Armageddon review. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I don't know that. You'll have to just give me a synopsis. What is he basically did, did said? He crucify it. Yeah, Michael Bay had created the world's first 180-minute trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right, well, let me read this to you. This is from Wikipedia. It says, The film received negative reviews during its release. The New York Times stated, Teenage ears may not split from the music or ache from the dialogue, but anybody over 20, beware. You're willing to sacrifice a solid future for a bike race, says the hero's mother. It's very (laughs) self-destructive. If only he had listened to his mom, but who can blame him for preferring his bicycle? On the website Rotten Tomatoes, Rad was given a rotten rating of zero. Now, so this means all the ratings, they compiled all the ratings from, you know, from when this came out in 1986. And overall, it got the score of zero, which is the lowest negatively reviewed film could get. So no film could get lower than zero, right? Yeah, yeah. Meantime, 89% was the audience rating on this. Guardian writer Nick Evershed, who could be important for all we know, he's not clickable, but uh, he said it was the largest discrepancy between audience and critical reception from a pool of 10,000 movies that he's analyzed. Wow. Oh, wow. So this is the biggest disparity between the fans and the critics. Uh, over on IMDb, it gets almost a seven, which is a very positive review. I mean, this seems like one that is silly and as hokey as it is, people genuinely feel strongly about liking this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So we like to talk about when these movies came out and how it related to the that time in professional wrestling. This movie came out early in 1986, and less than a month later, WrestleMania II. Nice. Remember WrestleMania II, Craig? This was a very interesting WrestleMania. It was. It holds a very unique distinction. Yeah, this is basically the WrestleMania that made it impossible for anybody to claim that they were at every WrestleMania. Yeah, you could never say you saw every single match at WrestleMania because this was at three locations. Oh. So they had it in Chicago, they had it in L.A., and they had it in not New York City, but what, the Rosemont? The uh, Nassau Coliseum out on Long Island, which WCW used to always call the shadow of New York City. (laughs) That's right. Wow. 
So this this didn't work. I like this idea, and I think they should try it again. But they were simulcasting it, so you could go to one arena, you'd watch your third of the show, and then you'd sit there and watch a screen to see the rest of the show. And other people would see this on closed circuit. Now, Craig, you went to a lot of closed circuit wrestling. Yeah. Did you see this closed circuit? I believe we did. I believe we were at the Boys Club in Pittsfield, Massachusetts for this Uh um, I'll have to ask my dad, or he, or he'll send me a text after he listens right. to this episode, uh, to because uh, sometimes my dad has a better memory than I do. <laughs> now, Jamal, do you remember closed circuit wrestling? Now, listen, I've never in my life ever been to close a closed circuit TV event. I used to always hear it, and I wonder what the hell that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was basically um, you would sit in an arena or uh, you know a, a hall and. Where the ring would be, they would have a just a giant screen with a projector projecting um, very dimly um, the event. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. like it was like pay per view for arenas. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> it was wow. before you had pay per view, so I mean that's how you had to go see it. Oh wow. Yeah, I always I I like the idea of this. They have tried now that they can easily do that, you know, projecting it in theaters, and I love the idea of going to like a movie theater and sitting with a crowd to watch a, a wrestling event that, you know, let's say is on the other end of the world and I can't go see it. I like that idea. Now, so you say, so no one could say they went to every single match at every WrestleMania. You could have gone to every WrestleMania, yeah. but you had to choose whether you wanted to see Mr. T against Roddy Piper in a boxing match, Andre the Giant in a battle royal, or Hulk Hogan against King Kong Bundy. Yeah. So, which one would you go with, by the way? Oh, you got to go what, Hogan Bundy in the cage? I oh. think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I might go with Mr. T versus Roddy Piper in a boxing match that Mr. T said would have made would have made Mo Larry and Curly sick. Uh, <laughs> really one of the silliest matches in wrestling history. If I got my time machine, I might go back for that just just for the sheer silliness uh, uh, of it. But yeah, no, I think you think you'd have to go with the main event. But if you were in the main event one, you'd be pretty tired by the time the live wrestling started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they, maybe they should have switched back. I guess today you could do that. I think back then switching back and forth would probably be way too much work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was also when they created the the new steel cage. Cages were basically <laughs> chain link. And then for Hogan Bundy, since Bundy was so big, they had to reinforce the cage, correct? That's or, what they said. But you, <laughs> you and I both don't believe that. No. There are two reasons. The, the the WWE reason, which makes sense, is they could get better camera shots with the blue cage, and it was distinctive, and people remembered it. But you mentioned something to me that I think makes a lot of sense. Hogan couldn't climb a regular steel cage. Yeah, he and was he like, needed this. He's like, you expect me to get my hands in there, brother? <laughs> I was so. What about Bundy? Bundy could climb the fence, and Hogan couldn't. Well, Bundy, I don't think there was any concern about Bundy climbing. That cage. <laughs> yeah, everybody knew Bundy wasn't going home with the title. <laughs> I don't even think Bundy's family thought Bundy was going to take home the belt. That's rough. That's I mean, rugged, you know, man. Look, look. I, okay, so you reinforced the cage. Did you make a bigger belt for Bundy? No. So clearly, Bundy wasn't going to go home wearing that belt. Is that why he only had it on his shoulder? Bundy didn't win. <laughs> so listen, 
here's here's the thing though. So you couldn't go to every WrestleMania. Theoretically, though, you could go to every SummerSlam, except for when Owen Hart wrestled against Ken Shamrock in the Lions Den match. Remember oh, this, oh, Greg? Right. Yeah, that was in the up in in Canada at the Hart family uh, no, compound. No, no, I, not that one. This oh, okay. is the one where that 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 was a match. They did have a match at the in the basement in the dungeon. at uh, at the dungeon. Yeah. Uh, but I think the dungeon match. Yeah, the dungeon match was from Fully Loaded. But oh. I'm talking about the one from SummerSlam where they were at Madison Square Garden and they they were like, "Hey, Vince was like, we can make some extra money if we throw one match in the theater at Madison Square." Oh Garden. wow! Yeah. Okay. And so they built a, a a ring that was supposed to be like an octagon, but really it looked more like the cup that you would put on top of a blender. <laughs> and they would wrestle in that. But I think there is probably at least one person, probably Vladimir, the WWF yeah. super fan, but at least one person that bought a ticket to both. And when it was time for that other match, raced out of the, the arena, <laughs> raced in there and watched Owen Hart wrestle against Ken Shamrock in a weird little octagon and then went back to finish his SummerSlam. Yeah, too funny. I completely forgot about that. Yes, wow. indeed. Um, the Lions Den match, though, does have or not the Lions Den match, the Hart uh, Family Dungeon match yeah. has one of my favorite moments in any in any wrestling match. I know what it is. I'm going to guess. Okay, go ahead. It's the moment where they announce Ken Shamrock and he's at the top of the steps. That's right. He's at the top of the steps. It's a regular it's a regular uh basement with like coats and everything yeah. hanging on a hook. Yeah. And uh he just comes down the steps. It looks like, you know, anybody else's house. Yeah, Jamal, the, the dungeon was uh where Stu Hart basically trained wrestlers and it was the basement right. of his house. Stu's dungeon, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, who is that in in, in WrestleMania two? Who was the guy that that fought Adrian Adonis? WrestleMania two was um, that Uncle Elmer. Uncle yeah. Elmer, that's who it was. <laughs> was that just his the pinnacle of his career? Was he he was in Kimberly Hillbilly Jim? Is that what it was? Yeah, well, actually, it's very interesting. Uh, we interviewed Hillbilly cousin Luke, who was supposed to be in that match, yeah. and he broke his ankle. Uh, and so he couldn't compete. So Uncle Elmer was just moved in, and that was Uncle Elmer's big payday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So Paul Orndorff and the magnificent Morocco fought to a double countout to start off the card. What a good way to start off your WrestleMania. That's awesome. And who was the face there? Was Orndorff the face? Yes, um, because uh, Morocco had, had uh, Mr. Fuji in his corner. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I really don't remember Paul Orndorff working as a face in WWF. Oh was, yeah, no, no, he absolutely did because after WrestleMania, he Roddy Piper left him there. Oh Roddy right, Piper turned on. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's the easy way to turn a guy is to uh, <laughs> have that's him get right. kicked out by the the bad the other bad guy. Yeah. The uh, the match on here that everybody remembers from that arena, which maybe may, may have made this the arena you should have gone to. You got Randy Savage against uh, against George the Animal Steel with Miss Elizabeth in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, match, there's Classic. no better than George Steele running around after Randy Savage and Randy Savage pulling Miss Elizabeth in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> This was this was probably the most epic match Randy Savage ever had at a WrestleMania. Am I right? Yeah, 
Well, besides the, besides the steamboat, but besides, that one. Is... Yeah, besides that one, or maybe the one at WrestleMania four where he won the title, or maybe the one at WrestleMania five against Hogan, or maybe any other match he ever had in his career. Yeah, yeah but you know, George Animal Steel, whenever he's around, man, it's just it's a different match. Oh man, listen to this though. This card got worse. Jake Roberts wrestled against a guy named George Wells. Now he was a uh, Canadian football player, if I remember correctly. He's just a jobber. He's yeah. just a job guy that they put on the card so Jake could beat him. They actually jobbed at WrestleMania. Wow! In yeah, a three-minute right? match, yeah, wow. which wasn't even the shortest match on the card. It's crazy. Uh, you got the boxing match. You got a fabulous Moolah match. Corporal Kirshner against Nikolai Volkov. Oh, the flag match. <laughs> it's a classic match. It sounded great when I was a kid, but now the flag match, I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's amazing how quick some of these matches were. I mean, they were really hurting for time. Mula wrestled for a minute and a half. The flag match was about two minutes. Yeah. Then you had Andre in this battle royal, and, and then you had... The uh, the tag team match, which is a very good match, by the way, the Bulldogs versus the Dream Team. And then you move over to Los Angeles. You got Steamboat versus Hercules Hernandez. Not a bad match. Adrian Adonis versus Uncle Elmer. Hey, they did what they could, I'm sure. Terry Funk uh, and Hoss Funk against Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana and wrapping everything up with Hulk Hogan defeating King Kong Bundy in a steel cage. So, Jamal, the reason we wanted you on here before we get to our big wrap-up is you've got a pretty exciting project that we want to tell everybody about. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I am currently, uh, I have a web series that actually premiered tonight called Chronicles of a Profiler. Excellent. Tell everybody about it and where they can find it. Chronicles of a Profiler is a X-Files slash Hannibal type of thriller about a retired investigator who is brought back into service due to an old uh, an old adversary. And it's really, 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 really gritty. Um, it's very dark. It's filmed locally in Mercer County and Bucks County. And we have shot the pilot already. We're working on season one. And you can find us on Kickstarter under chroniclesofaprofiler.com. You can find us on Facebook under the same title, as well as Instagram and Twitter. And we're very excited about it. So far, our feedback from the pilot's been awesome. Um, we're about to kick off filming our second and third episode in about a week and a half. And we're really looking forward to it. Well, it's very exciting. How many episodes do you think season one will turn out? Ten. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And the, yeah. the cool thing about web series are, you, you know, you have a different running time you can work with. You know, you, you know what? Uh, the pilot's what about nine minutes? Nine minutes, and the, the episodes are generally probably be around seven, seven or eight. But the pilot and like the finale, you can extend a little bit. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. It kind of reminds me of those old serials they used to do back in the '30s and '40s. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. Web, web series is, is is an awesome format, man. Um, this story actually had been floating around in my head. Since about 2004, and originally it was written to be a feature, but it just didn't feel right because it felt like it was. It felt more episodic. I didn't know if I was really into writing a, a television series at the time, but when you know, within the last couple of years with the web series format, you know, this just this is perfect, you know. And I just went out and I said, let's let's give it a shot. And we shot. We actually shot two episodes. What I showed you is the second episode. The first time we went out just to see if it worked. Uh, turned out great as well, and it gave us the impetus to go and shoot this one. Well, it's very exciting. Give the addresses again so people can find it. 
On Facebook, uh, we are under Chronicles of a Profiler. And on Kickstarter.com, you can find us at Kickstarter.com slash Chronicles of a Profiler. On Twitter, we are at Chronicles of a Profiler. And it's just awesome stuff. Uh, I would love to have your support. Come check it out. Uh, it's some great storytelling uh, on the web. Uh, it's a brand new format and uh, a medium. And I think there's going to be some really good narrative work coming in the next, uh, in the foreseeable future in the form of web series. And just come out and support uh, indie film on the web. Very nice. nice. Now, after talking about a film here, we always give our thumbs up, thumbs down in the terms of tapping out or not tapping out. So let's start with Craig. Do you tap out to Rad? All right. I got to say, watching Rad again for the first time in, in probably, I don't know, a good five or six years, because I know we watched it together, not, you know, within the last couple of years. Right. Um, but, you know, watching it again um, with, a, a you know, a couple of years distance and you know, watching it not as a uh, a child of sort of BMX culture, it was easy enough to watch. But as I objectively looked at it, I said, if you really did not follow BMX, um, there's nothing relatable here. It's not like you know Rocky, where even if you're not into boxing, you can sort of get down with the the story of a you know an underdog. Um, here, there's just not enough going on outside of the the BMX stuff to to I think sort of you know, engage uh, an audience that's really not into BMX culture. And as great as H.B. Haggerty is, uh, his role is pretty small. So I got to say that I did, in fact, tap to Rad. All right. Uh, I did not. I like this movie. Uh, I've seen it so many times. I have trouble looking at it objectively, but uh, I had a blast watching it. And when it ended, I, wa- I was like, I got to watch this more often. So so I, I give it I give it the positive. I don't tap out. I enjoyed it. Uh, let's go to you, Jamal. What do you think? All right. Uh, well, watching it for the first time, I must say I actually, especially looking at it in the context of when it was shot and would I have enjoyed it at that age? And I have to say, I gave it a thumbs up. I liked it. <laughs> I would have to say, you know, in, and I agree with Craig in the context of not knowing anything about BMX culture, it probably would be a stretch, but I think I have a soft spot because it just brought me back to when, you know, I was first learning about the uh, BMX uh, culture and including uh, skate culture also. And right. uh, I, I was like, you know what? I, I love this. It's a, it's a pure just 80s movie that probably stunk in the theater, but something I could see myself renting every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamal, thanks for joining us, everybody. Check out his Kickstarter. Craig, always a pleasure. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It was very cool uh, talking this movie with you and Jamal. And we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. Where are you? Who are you? Fifteen years of chasing ghosts. Taking my life but left me alive. In my head you're clear. Watching me. Watching you. Somebody else is dreaming my dream. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I gotta take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to pin it? What's that smell? <laughs> Down goes 
almost Jimmy King. Oh my God, a four-post massacre. No one can survive this. This isn't even a pay-per-view.